um, we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Cindy. Christine, sorry. Um, and she's from TAPCOM, and she's going to talk a little bit about some of the missions that we're involved with. And um, so instead of hearing from me saying, good morning, we have Christine instead doing a, a great um, ministry among us. Wow, so I came in and I was sitting early and I didn't see who had come into the church, so I had no idea who was behind me. So it was kind of a nice surprise to get up and see this many people in the pews. Good morning. Uh, I am Reverend Christine Ketty. I work on the staff, the regional staff, for the American Baptist Churches of Massachusetts. And my role there is I serve as Director of Missions and Elder Ministries. I went to seminary with Jen. We graduated together. And uh, the last time I was here at this church was for her ordination and installation service. So it's lovely to be back again. She reached out to me and said that the church would love to hear a little bit about what's going on in our missions work. And so I'm here to share that with you today and also to ask you for a little bit of help. I was blessed this past weekend, starting on Thursday, we had our um, American Baptist Churches of USA biennial, which happens every two years and is a national gathering of all of the American Baptist churches in our nation and also in Puerto Rico. I don't know if you knew, but on the small island of Puerto Rico, we have 150 American Baptist congregations on the island of Puerto Rico. It's a very active part of our church. And so I was there for three days. We were supposed to have the conference in San Juan, which I was very excited, of course, about going initially. And then because of the pandemic, we had to have the conference online instead. And now we will go to San Juan in two years from now. So that's 2023. So we had all of our workshops were on Zoom and the worship, everything was on Zoom, and it was wonderful. And um, there was a lot, go there is a lot going on, as we know, in the world, and a lot of needs. I just wanted to bring forth a few things that really stood out to me in the three days of the conference. Um, one is our need in Puerto Rico, which continues. We had committed as a region in Massachusetts to do five mission trips down to Puerto Rico. The last mission trip was right before the pandemic. I took a group of 20 folks from six different uh, TAPCOM churches, and we went down to Puerto Rico to work on rebuilding homes that had been destroyed in the hurricanes Irma and Maria, which happened a number of years ago. Unfortunately, there are still a number of people on that island who don't have homes, who have not been able to rebuild, even years after the hurricane. So the needs there are still great, and now with the pandemic and everything else that has gone on, they've had earthquakes, the needs there are even greater. So I am hoping that we will be able to do trip number four um, as soon as it feels safe and comfortable to take a group to travel. Um, Probably not until uh, 2022, but I will keep you all posted about that. And if you're able to join us on that mission, uh, it was an amazing experience. 
there are big needs right now in India and Nepal. If you could pray for those countries, um, they have had a terrible wave of COVID and um, they are really suffering. And I heard from leaders from those nations who are specifically in our American Baptist, um, the Baptist churches, not American Baptist, but the Baptist churches over there. Um, a number of their pastors have died from COVID and so their families are now they have a widow and children, and they need people to help uh, support those families. So that's an ongoing need. In the country of Myanmar, there is a terrible uh, political unrest that's happening right now. We also have quite a Baptist presence there, and there's a big need there as well. So what I do is I have a monthly call um, it lasts for an hour. It's the second Thursday of every month uh, at 6.30 p.m. on Zoom. And what I'm looking to do, we have what's called mission advocates in TABCOM. And I would like there to be one from each of our churches. We have over 200 churches in the region, and the churches are now in 11 different languages. We are an extremely diverse denomination. We have churches from uh, with Haitian immigrants, we have churches with Brazilian immigrants, we have churches with from the Burmese population, we have churches uh, from of Chinese uh, immigrants, along with our Anglo churches, and Haitian, if I didn't mention that. Um, so, I have this call, and in the call, we share about uh, what our churches are doing in terms of mission and outreach, and it certainly sounds like you all have a lot of that happening here, which is wonderful. I'd love to hear more about it. I don't know if you're gathering for, do you gather for coffee after church? Okay. So if um, you want to share some more about that with me after, that would be great. I need one person from each TAPCOM church to be involved as just a liaison. So it's an hour commitment. You would attend the Zoom meeting on the second Thursday. You would share what's going on in your church. I would share what's happening in TABCOM in terms of missions and what the needs are, and we would eventually build up a relationship between the churches and the regional office. Right now, I have about 10 people who are faithfully attending the mission call, and I think trying to launch this before COVID, what happened was I think a lot of the churches just became very inwardly focused during the pandemic, which is fine and understandable. That's probably what happens in a crisis. But now that things are loosening up a little and we're able to start thinking again of getting out beyond our walls, uh, it would be lovely to have more of our churches participating in, in sort of these combined mission efforts. If nothing else, the person from who's attending the call can go back to the church and say, you know, this is what's going on in the world. These are the prayer needs. If we have specific missionaries that are in town and available, like right now we have a wonderful couple, Ketley and Vital Pierre, and they're here staying in Massachusetts. Um, Ketley was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she came from the Dominican Republic where they do their mission work to receive treatment at Dana-Farber. And she's been uh, being housed and supported and cared for by all of the churches in our region who have chipped in We've had churches donate a vehicle for them to be able to drive. We've had other churches donate housing for them to stay. 
We've had other churches bringing them hot meals. Um, and Ketley has done wonderful. She's just had her surgery and is currently cancer-free, praise God. I ask that you would keep them in your prayers. And they are here in Massachusetts and looking to visit our churches. So that's another thing that I do. If you'd like a missionary to come and visit, Pastor Jen would reach out to me, and I would let her know which missionaries are in the area to come and visit your church. So, again, uh, thank you for listening, and thank you for inviting me, and I hope to talk to you some more after. And if you have um, any uh, need to know what's going on, we also have a twice-monthly newsletter that goes out to everyone in Tabcom called Tabcom Notes. I always write a mission section for that and also an elder ministry section. I'll do a side note for that. I have a caregiving ministry for those people who are caregiving for elderly parents or loved ones who are sick. So if you are a caregiver and you would like some support and resources, you can also talk to me about that and give me your contact information and I can add you to all of the lists that I have going on to send out the information about all the work that we're doing. So I thank you for listening and um, ask that you would just pray for me and then we'll move on with the service. Please pray. Gracious and merciful God, we are so thankful for this place, for the people here, for the ministries and the work that is going on in this congregation. I thank you for my seminary sister, Pastor Jen, and the work that she's doing here in leading this congregation, and for each and every person here who is involved in all of these wonderful ministries that are going on. And I ask that you would continue to sustain this church, to help to grow this church, to help to, to reach out uh, to the community and, and bring many more folks into the into the sphere of the ministries that are happening here in this church. I thank you for the opportunity to come and speak today, and I ask that you would just bless all of the folks in the world, uh, in, in our nation, in the state of Massachusetts, in the world, uh, especially the folks in Myanmar and India, especially the people in Puerto Rico, Lord. There are so many great needs in this world, of people who are suffering, suffering economically, suffering spiritually, suffering materially, and you have commissioned us, Lord, to be your hands and feet in this world, in a very hurting world that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. And so this morning we pray, Lord, that, that our mission would be fulfilled and that we would keep our eyes on you as we walk forward in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. It's warm. And there is no air up here. Yeah, we used to have one. I don't know where it went. Anyway, good morning. I was trying to decide if I should go ahead and do the children's message anyway, but I think I'll save it. For another time, since it's so warm. Anyway, what brings people to Jesus? What caused you to come to Jesus? 
Yep. <laughs> and we're glad you stayed. I hope you're not still in wear diapers, though. <laughs> People come to Jesus for many reasons, but most likely because he's actively ministering to people's needs. He was ministering to people's needs when he was walking the earth, and he's still doing it today. He was exercising authority and compassion that brought healing and life to people. And in Matthew chapter 9, which we heard this morning, um, we find another miracle sandwich which demonstrates Jesus' authority, this time over death. It's a story of parental grief and of personal shame and suffering, as well as great faith. When Jesus was going about his daily life, his daily work for the kingdom, he was continually interrupted. That sound familiar? Are you ever interrupted as you go along with your daily life? All the time, I'm sure. I know I am. Uh, but Jesus didn't see these interruptions as problems. He saw them as God sent opportunities for him to minister to the needs that brought people to him so that he could prove God's love for people and also show that he himself was God's hand of love. The totality of Jesus' ministry is revealed as a father comes to Jesus for the life of his daughter. In verse 18, it says, While he was saying these things to him, a synagogue ruler came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, a synagogue ruler or leader, an official of the synagogue, was someone who was very well known and very important in the community, uh, especially communities that were held together by rituals and religion. He was one of several rulers over the synagogue who led in public worship. Uh, Matthew, I mean, Matthew doesn't give us his name, but Mark and Luke tell us his name is Jairus. Um, they tell a similar story with a little more detail. Matthew didn't feel the details were necessary. As a synagogue ruler, Jairus was responsible for administration, looking after the building, supervising worship, running the school on weekdays, and finding rabbis to preach on the Sabbath. Sounds like a one-man show. Sounds kind of like a small church. So, synagogue rulers had power and influence. Jairus was such a man, yet he was willing to risk all of that to come to Jesus because death had crept into his family. This loving father had probably exhausted all efforts to heal his little girl and was now in need of what only God could do. So he came to Jesus. He bowed down at Jesus' feet and he worshipped him. The ruler's exceptional faith in Jesus is shown not only by his worshipful posture before Jesus, but also in his plea. Come and lay your hand on her and she will live. This request reveals a great faith in Jesus. Although his daughter has just died, he believes Jesus can nevertheless revive her. Now, you need to note that we've been talking about all the different healings that Matthew, in Matthew that Jesus has done. And up to this point, 
Jesus has performed all of those healing miracles on the living. People still living. He was able to heal leprosy and cast out demons and all these other healing things. But this time he's being asked to heal someone who's dead. We also note in this passage that up until this point, most of them have occurred by Jesus' healing touch. In some way, Jesus touched the lepers. He touched the uh, demon-possessed. He touched those who had illness. This time, no, let me get that right. He did it with a word. This time, he's going to do it with a touch. Because touching those others would have made him unclean. Touching a dead body was considered to be the most defiling kind of uncleanliness. And most religious leaders and teachers would have refused to go anywhere close to the dead. Jesus' response, however, expressed great faith and hope. And the the man, Jairus, had great faith and hope. Jesus simply got up. He didn't say anything. He just got up and followed him to the house. And so did the disciples. In response, Jesus said nothing but acted by rising and following the official, accompanied by his disciples. There was no question on the part of Jesus that God the Father had given him authority to minister to this need. He was just always ready to go with the flow. There's a lesson for us in Jesus' love for people. In our hectic and busy lives, we tend to get so caught up with our own concerns that we lose our sense of compassion for others. We must make time to observe and respond to individuals, no matter who they are, young or old, rich or poor, people that are like us or that are very different from us in any way. Somewhere amid all the demands on you as a servant of Jesus Christ, take time to hold the hand of an aging person, to comfort a tired parent, or cradle a child until they sleep. Great opportunities for service are often few and far between. Little ones, however, surround us daily. The official story is suspended here by an interruption that extends from verses 20 to 22. At this point of desperation, the story of the healing of the hemorrhaging woman begins in verse 20. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Now, as Jesus traveled to the house of the young girl who lay dead, his journey of mercy was interrupted by another person in need. It did not matter what Jesus was doing or how he was ministering. He allowed these interruptions, whether he was speaking to a crowd, conversing with his disciples, traveling, sleeping, or praying. He made time for those who needed him. Those intrusions were viewed as opportunities for ministry and not for rebuke. What would be an interruption for us, he used as a springboard to teach or perform a marvelous deed. So as we too go on our errands of mercy, we will pass other sorrowing hearts so tightly packed. 
but be ready to go with the flow. This woman was in great distress, and no wonder. She had been suffering a chronic, excessive loss of blood, a hemorrhage most likely due to a uterine disorder, for 12 years. It made it impossible for her to feel strong and healthy. Her sickness was incurable, humanly speaking. As Luke, the physician, tells us in his gospel, she had depleted all of her funds, seeking the help of doctors and people that should be able to help her. The woman's actions revealed a new avenue of Jesus' healing ability that extends beyond his word or touch because she believed that even the impersonal touch of the edge of his garment would be sufficient. She pushes up behind him and reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak. Verse 21 reveals that the persistent thought that caused her action was she kept saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be well. What great faith, if I only touch his garment. She didn't need him to touch her. She was not even worthy to touch him and make him unclean. If only she could touch the lowest part of what touched him, the fringe of his coat. That would be enough. She did not want to trouble the great teacher. He had more important matters to deal with than an old, bleeding woman, didn't he? So, in humble faith, she extended her hand to the hem of the great physician's coat, kind of opposite of the way Jairus approached. Get well is literally be saved in this passage, the word sozo, or delivered. Jesus came and brought full, rich meaning to the word, for now it implies an even greater deliverance from the sin that was the root cause of all physical infirmity. In our times of desperation, we don't have to worry about the correct way to reach out to God. Like this woman, we can simply reach out in faith. He will respond. The woman might have thought she could get by without public notice, but she couldn't. Jesus responds to her touch in verse 22. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. She had not escaped his notice after all. Jesus was aware that power had gone out from him, so he turned to her and affectionately called her daughter and encouraged her with the words, Take courage. Cheer up. He stated that the reason for her delivered and saved condition was her faith, her faith in him and his power. She had reached out and touched Jesus in faith and was made well. She was delivered. Her recovery was instant. In one brief moment, the flow of blood stopped completely. Health and vigor surged through her body. Jesus is seeking to draw each of us to confess publicly what faith in him has done. As a plant left in darkness becomes pale, sickly, and dies, so faith in him, which is not brought out into the light, is unlikely to receive the nourishment necessary to survive. The sickness drove this woman to Jesus. This demonstrates the great mercy of God, that nothing more than a selfish desire to get rid of a painful disease started a process which turned a life into peaceful, 
thankful surrender of the cured self to the love and service of the mighty healer. God changed a situation that had been a problem for years, like the leper and the demon-possessed men. This diseased woman was considered unclean. For 12 years, she too had been one of the untouchables and had not been able to lead a normal life. But Jesus changed that and restored her. Sometimes we are tempted to give up on people or situations that have not changed for many years. God can change what seems unchangeable, giving new purpose and hope. Perhaps Jairus was, had been tempted to give up on Jesus healing his daughter by now because of this delay. Perhaps you have said, I would love for Jesus to touch me, but I don't feel his touch. Then be like this woman. If you aren't feeling his touch upon you, reach out and touch him. Have you made the effort to press through the crowd of unbelief, of busyness, of entertainment, of activities? The crowd of all that stands between you and the Lord? Press through and say, I just want to touch the hem of his garment. I know if I can touch him, I'll be healed. This woman expended the effort to break through the crowd and touch Jesus. Was her theology correct? No. Was her knowledge complete? No. She was acting out of superstition. But the Lord didn't say, since your theology is all messed up, I won't help you. No, he's a savior who needs to hear our cries. He hears them and he reaches out, even though our phrases and our words aren't the right ones sometimes. Maybe our theology isn't quite right. But God honors the person who in desperation is seeking to touch him. Now, do you suppose by this time Jairus is growing quite impatient? Come on, Lord, my daughter is dead. And you're taking, touching some old lady who touched you, touched your clothes in a crowd for crying out loud. Let's go. Do you ever feel that way? Lord, I see you're blessing this person. And you're blessing that person. Great, but Lord, what about me? I suggest that in seeing the healing of this woman, Jairus was being prepared for the healing of his own daughter. You see, whenever the Lord delays our prayers and is working in other people or in other places, be observant of where he's working and what he's doing, because therein lies lessons for you as well. Keep your ears open, your eyes wide. And your journal open to record information the Lord knows you will need shortly. Just remember to go with the flow. The encompassing story of the official's daughter resumes once again in verse 23. When Jesus came to the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, the interruption taken care of, Jesus continues on his way to the ruler's house. Christ went in in calm consciousness knowing that the power of God was sufficient to meet any occasion. The girl's father and the disciples must have wondered why he stopped to talk to the woman and felt that precious moments were lost. But Jesus knew his resources. One would receive no harm by the delay, and the other received a needed blessing. The girl had just died. 
But already the crowd was making noise. Tumult in the outer court with loud, wild wailing and screaming. Many of these were professional mourners who, like vultures, made their living from the dead. Mourning, like everything else, had been reduced to a rite or a ritual. Jesus realized that much of this ostentatious display of grief was insincere and therefore improper, and that in this particular case, death was going to give way to life. Scorners who laugh at what they do not understand do not deserve to be witnesses to the wonderful works of God. So Christ had them removed. He said, go away, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And then they began laughing at him. Jesus used sleep metaphorically for death, in which the soul has separated from the body. For death to the Lord of life appears as but sleep. It is not worthy to be called death, from that from which we cannot can and will one day be awakened. None who die are dead, but only sleep until the caller to eternal existence speaks. Hired mourners were most likely very distasteful to Jesus, who quickly dismissed them and the confusion they added. Losing out on their opportunity to profit by a situation, they strike back at Jesus. They laugh at Jesus. The skeptical laughter of the crowd underlines the greatness of the miracle that Jesus was about to accomplish. Today, they also laugh and scorn his words that every being will be resurrected to stand in judgment on the last day. Whatever your belief, if God has said it, it will be done. Whenever Jesus wants to work in your situation, there will be mockers saying, it's not going to happen. The Lord's not going to help you. He doesn't care anything about you. And these little voices inside us, the voices of unbelief, even of uh, well-meaning friends, say, grow up, don't expect a miracle. The laughers, the scorners, and the mockers were removed before Jesus went in. Move out the mockers, my friends. Believe the promise of God. Rejoice in advance and anticipate his blessing. In verse 25, It says, the power of Jesus defeats the power of death. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. It probably took some time and some determination to get that crowd out of there. And the word put out really means to be thrust out or thrown out. The unbelievers were not to see the great power of God. The ruler had asked Jesus to lay his hand upon the child. But the Lord does even better. There's not an extraordinary effort, but with authority and tenderness, he takes the child by the hand. And as Mark tells us, he says, Talitha, come. Little girl, rise. Or little girl, it's time to wake up. The words are strange to our hearing, but stranger still is that the cold, dead ear of death hears and responds. Immediately, her soul returns, and she got up. The synagogue ruler didn't come to Jesus until his daughter was dead. It was too late for anyone else to help. But Jesus simply went to the girl and raised her. In our lives, Christ can make a difference 
when it seems too late for anyone else to help. He can bring healing to broken relationships, release from addicting habits, and forgiveness and healing to emotional scars. If your situation looks hopeless, remember that Christ can do the impossible. Verse 26 speaks of the fact that raising one from the dead is a most spectacular of all of Jesus' miracles. This news spread throughout the land. Much interest was stirred, and Jesus, who often tried to avoid drawing attention to his power, tried not to, in this case as well. He was more interested in showing the way to eternal life than allowing his miraculous power to be known. Jesus' growing power and notoriety will cause the Pharisees and the Sadducees to begin mounting opposition to him and what he wanted to accomplish in the lives of people. The two interlaced stories present Jesus as the Lord and giver of life, the one who can restore and extend life, the one whose compassion reaches out to bless the suffering and afflicted. Matthew has borne testimony to the manifestation of Jesus' power at its zenith. Jesus, the giver of life, reaches in to the cessation of physical life and brings back physical life. This great saying of the Lord is that she is not dead but sleeps, can now be applied to us. The raising of this little girl foreshadows the ultimate resurrection of the dead by the power of Jesus. Since he has come, <clears throat> death is soft <clears throat> to sleep for those who love him and became a frightful reality for those who do not. Death for one born again is not something to be feared, for it is merely the separation of the soul and the body by the physical act when the body shuts down. This name sleep, sanctioned by Christ, speaks of the cessation of connection with the world of sense and emerging in rest. <coughs> it does not imply unconsciousness, for we are not unconscious when we sleep, but only unaware of externals. It holds the promise of waking when the sun comes, the sun of righteousness. So Jesus has driven out the old, ugly name of death. Our tears flow less bitterly when we think of our dear ones as sleeping in Jesus. Their bodies, like this little girl, are dead. But they are not, for in him they live and move and have their being. Jesus' goodness turns our problems into occasions of hope. His greatness makes our needs seem small. His graciousness makes our ultimate healing sure. That he can heal is without question. That it is his will to heal is another question. We must seek to discern the will of God and remember to trust him to lead us as we go with the flow. Let us pray.